Welcome to futureofuschinatrade.com. I'm Molly Castellazzo, and I'm joined by one of our expert commentators, Jim Jarrett. Jim was president of Intel China between 1996 and 2000, and then vice president of global public policy at Intel until his retirement in 2007. We're talking today about Jim's vision of the future of trade between the U.S. and China. He argues that fundamentally this isn't a China issue, it's a U.S. competitiveness issue. He then offers his advice on ways that the U.S. can be a more effective contender in what he calls the global competition for jobs. Now, to my telephone discussion with Jim. Hi, Jim. It's Molly Castellazzo. Hi, Molly. How are you? I'm well. How are you? Fine. Thank you. So, start off by saying thank you for taking the time to talk with me today. I appreciate it. Maybe, maybe if we could begin with you talking a little bit about your background and your experience with China. I know that you were a senior vice president in Intel. So, in in sort of the business realm, then what what was your experience? Yeah, I. Um... I spent four years in China as president of Intel China okay. in the late 90s and then um, came back and was in charge of uh, public policy for the company uh, on a worldwide basis, which included a lot of work in China as well. And then I retired at the end of uh, 2007. Okay. So you have a, a unique and I imagine fascinating sort of vantage point then in terms of the development of China. Well, and, I've been close to it and right. uh, I've been a uh, something of a participant in it. So uh, yeah, it's been a it's been a good experience and very exciting time for China. You know, what one thing that I have have sort of been cognizant of is that it, it's clear that a lot of um, American-based and, and certain, certainly multinational corporations have really leveraged some incredible opportunities in China. And yeah. yet lately I, I have been hearing or reading more and more about uh, business people feeling like the the environment the business environment is in China is increasingly unfriendly that and and it sounds like China that that the Chinese government is becoming sort of emboldened with uh, domestic content policies um, technology transfer policies is that a misperception or do you also get the sense that 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 there's been a shift sort of in, in how they're treating foreign businesses? I, I don't know that there's been a shift. Uh, there's, there's a long history of China being quite aggressive in trying to protect its own industries and do, uh, do a variety of things that, uh, you know, will aid its development and in the process uh, tends to uh, restrict, uh, you know, the uh, flexibility and profitability of some of the, of the American companies and foreign companies. Um, mm -hmm. You know, the latest thing that has really 
resurrected this concern among foreign companies operating in China is the indigenous innovation policies. Mm-hmm. And those are pretty wide, wide sweeping uh, in their scope and, uh, and troublesome. So, I mean, but we've been down this road before with several other instances um, where, you know, China will put out a, a proposal that's uh, really not very well conceived, and then, under international pressure, will wind up pulling back either all of it or part of it. I see. So we'll see where this goes. You know, we we had a a situation um, in the early years of this decade where, for example, the, the Chinese put in place a, a, a two-level value-added tax on semiconductors, mm. and they wanted to charge a much higher value-added tax on imported semiconductors. And the Semiconductor Industry Association um, you know, talked to the Chinese for several years and said this is really not, uh, you know, in compliance with WTO policies and uh, got nowhere with it. But then when the United States filed a case against um, China in the WTO, the Chinese quickly backed off and changed their policy because they realized that they would lose the uh, the case. I see. So... Um, you know they uh, they they do respond to international pressure, but uh, it's uh, you know not always an easy process. Okay. So if we look to the for into the future in in the next three decades or so, and we think about and and I say trade in in sort of the broadest sense, um, meaning not only cross border flows of goods and services, but also, you know, the business operations in each country. Um, we have our, our moderator's three scenarios. Bob Middlestat imagines a future of free trade, unfettered free trade, where both countries really compete only on their comparative advantages. Um, and then Clyde Prestowitz, he imagines a future where America takes a much more competitive stance um, reversing the erosion of, of what he sees as the erosion of, of America's economic power. And China then focuses on growing its economy through uh, rising domestic demand. And then Art Blakemore talks about convergence. So the U.S. continues to grow on trend and China continues to catch up and follows this path that we've seen really since, um, since the beginning of industrialization. When you when you think about those three scenarios and, and more generally about the future of trade between the U.S. and China, what what do you see? Okay, um, looking at first at the scenarios, you know, it strikes me that scenario one and scenario three are both passive approaches. Mm-hmm. It, they both really require other countries to do the right thing, and in mm-hmm. specifically China, uh, that it should, you know, lower its tariffs and follow the follow free trade policies in the in the case of uh, scenario number one, and that 
as it, in case of scenario number three, as it matures, that it will uh, do things uh, that are, um, you know, much more like the U.S. policies. Mm-hmm. And um, I really don't uh, think those things are going to happen um, in the case of China. Um, you know, the the fact is China's going to do what's in its best interest. Right. And so, you know, I think we need to start off with that recognition that um, – this is they're going to do what's right for China, and that makes sense for them. And we have to do the same thing. And so I think you know, scenario two is more to my taste uh, because it's a more active approach than the other two scenarios. Um, you know, I think fundamentally this isn't a China issue; it's a U.S. competitiveness issue, and the, the U.S. needs to take charge of its competitiveness in a much more active way than it has um, in the past. So, you know, I think, uh, you know, we're really in a global competition for jobs, and, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, we need to to get out there and do what we need to do. Uh, You know, a very good example of, of the kind of global nature of this situation is, you know, at Intel, um, when we build very expensive factories that mm-hmm. cost on the area of uh, in the area of four billion dollars for a factory. And if you look at the ten-year operating cost, construction and operating cost of a, a, a semiconductor factory, you can do it in any of a number of other countries like Israel and Ireland and China and Malaysia for about a billion dollars less than you can do it in the United States. And and is that because of of labor costs? No, not at all. Uh, In a a semiconductor uh, factory, the labor content is, uh, you know, pretty low. Okay. And it's, uh, these are very, you know, High-priced um, people that are working there in, right. in a so no, it's not labor at all. It is primarily a matter of lower tax rates and direct subsidies and direct payments that are available in other countries that aren't available here. Mm-hmm. So um, you know that's the sort of thing that needs to be addressed. Uh, we need to. Uh, face up to the fact that uh, those jobs are are going to go elsewhere unless we are competitive in our uh, in our policies. So, um, you know, I that's the kind of thing that I I would be emphasizing. You know, I think we need to look at a lower tax rate uh, for the uh, in general, uh, but specifically, you know, I think we need to have a lower tax rate. Uh, for the output from new domestic factories okay. for a, a period of time. Um, and this was something that uh, was done quite effectively in China as, a, as an incentive uh, for companies to put their factories there. The, the output from the factories was uh, tax-free for several years and then uh, at a lower tax rate for several more years. Uh, I think we need an investment tax credit 
that um, you know could be put in place again to incentivize American companies to build factories here. Um, I think we need a an, an immigration policy that uh, makes it easier for foreign nationals who have studied here and gotten their degrees here to stay here. Mm-hmm. Right now, our immigration policies make it more difficult for those people to stay here, and I think that needs to change. Um, you know, I think we need to put uh, more emphasis on research and development funding at the federal government level, particularly for basic research. Uh, this is the, the kind of work in the fundamental sciences uh, that uh, really you know, produce uh, commercial benefits down the road. So that, those kind of things, plus you know, a, a, a very strong emphasis on education because the jobs of the future are going to require uh, a, a more educated workforce. So that needs to be a, a big push in the United States, I think. Okay. Now, are these are these competitiveness policies that you're talking about, does that represent a, a turnabout for the United States, or is it more a re- a reversion to something that we used to do. Um, I, I guess my question is: Is it are, are we becoming more like China then, or more like Israel or Ireland or some of these other countries that have these um, incentivizing policies, or are we we going back to an earlier American period? Well, it's a mix. Mm-hmm. Um, if you look at um, something like an investment tax credit. We had an, Amer- an investment tax credit in the United States uh, up until the um, kind of early 80s. Okay. Um, the immigration policy has, you know, waxed and waned over the years, but certainly, you know, at in recent years, it's been it's been more difficult for uh, foreign nationals to uh, to really get the get their visas, get their green cards, and and stay here. So that's something that's fairly easily fixed. Um, the you know Putting something like a lower tax rate in place for the output of uh, new domestic factories, that would be a new thing. Uh, and it would, it's not something that I'm aware of has been done before in the United States. Um, R&D funding... You know, that's always been something that the U.S. Um, has done at the federal government level in terms of basic research. Uh, but in recent years, it's been pretty flat in terms of the sciences. It's gone up nicely in terms of the life sciences, but the, the basic sciences that the, in the funding for the National Science Foundation has been relatively flat. Uh, the Obama administration has made some progress in that area, and, and that needs to continue. Okay. So, you know, I think it's a mix of things that we're doing uh, that, that we need to do. Um, plus, you know, I think the, um, the kind, some of the things that uh, were in scenario two, you know, that are kind of short-term and China-specific, um, those are um, – 
you know, those would be new things for us, uh, you know, pushing much harder on currency reform, for example, mm-hmm. to get China to uh, let its currency uh, go to a level that's more appropriate. Um, it's, I think it, there's consensus that it's been pretty suppressed artificially, and we need to really push for that to, whether it's done at the WTO or the IMF, you know, we need to push in that area to, to get that currency at a, at a better level. And, and, you know, I was interested to hear when we first started talking that you mentioned, um, was it the, the earlier part of this decade with the, the value-added tariffs that when the U.S., you know, despite pressure from businesses, China wasn't going to waver. But then, when the U.S. said we're going to file a WTO case, and sort of, I, I guess it sounded like really demonstrated a, a seriousness on the issue, then China backed off. And so I'm wondering if those that lesson could be applied in this case, if if the U.S. put heavier pressure or you know brought a case. I don't know exactly, you know, the specifics about a case in the WTO, um, that maybe that would would force China's hand in a more dramatic way. Yeah, I I think it, you know, as I say, I think China does respond to uh, international pressure uh, when it feels that it must. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, it, and this shouldn't just be a U.S. push. It should be an international push. And there's evidence that um, the, the European Union and other governments are joining in this pressure on China. And China's typical reaction um, is to say, uh, to, to reject these kinds of things um, publicly uh, because they don't want to appear to be uh, bending to the will of the foreigners. Mm-hmm. But then later on, um, you know, they'll make moves on their own um, that really accomplish what, uh, you know, what the uh, foreign governments and foreign companies have been pushing for. 